Shalom, shalom. Welcome, world changers. Great to see you guys. We're going to have a great time this evening because we're going to be talking about uh, uh, Samuel. We're going to be talking about his mother, Hannah. We're going to be reading from 1 Samuel chapters 1 through 7. Some very interesting things there we're going to cover. Okay, so let me talk to, let's, before we get into 1 Samuel, I just wanted to um, address uh, a couple comments. Actually, it's almost one comment, it's just a couple comments from one person. And we have seen this person here in our live chat before, in our fellowship before. So this is um, the question. Just give me a second here. Just make sure I... Okay. So I'm not sure how many of you um, saw the live stream that we did last Saturday, the Shabbat live stream. We had Onia and we also had uh, Jason with us. And we were talking about all kinds of things, okay? So I am really not sure what context uh, this uh, is really referring to. But anyway, seek the truth in Christ. You might you might recognize the uh, the handle there, the screen name. Seek the seek truth in Christ says. How is Paul then able to say, "Be like me as as I am like Christ"? I'm not sure exactly. Again, I'm not sure exactly what he's referring to because it was a, it was actually quite a lengthy live stream. So, and we spoke about lots of things. Um, but he's like, "Oh, how can Paul say, be like me as I am like Christ'?" And so I just responded, "You know, a lot of people uh, claim to be like Christ, and that's true. A lot of people claim to be like Christ. Um, whether or not Paul is like Christ is really beside the point. I mean." Depends on your position in, in regards to Paul. But um, so, yeah, so I said, I know a lot of people who claim to be like Christ. And then he responds to me and or he or she. I'm sorry if it's a, if I'm getting that wrong. Um, seek, seek truth in Christ says. Uh, so how do we know Paul was or was not like Christ? And if Paul was not like Christ, is this mean we cannot be like Christ. Okay, let me just stop there for a second. Um, so I have to be open here. When I read this, you know, how do we know whether Paul was like Christ or not? Um, I'm I'm trying to find a, a way to say this that doesn't sound bad, but it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter if Paul was like Christ or not, or or whoever. Um, what matters is, is it the truth or is it not the truth? Whatever Paul wrote, okay, in whatever context or whatever passage you're referring to. Is it the truth? Is it not the truth? Is it is it accurate? Is it not accurate? Is it scripturally accurate? Is it historically accurate? That's the question. Um, whether or not Paul was like Christ really makes no difference. I'm not following Paul. Right? And I hope nobody's following Paul. Um, we're following, we're following Yeshua. We're following the Master. We're following the Lord. So um, that's the thing. Now he goes on to say here, here or she, excuse me. Um, so I am. So the the last half of this question is, and I'm just trying to understand. I believe Paul was like Christ. I haven't found anywhere 
that he was not like Christ. I do understand that he did his will. Yeah, so again, um, whether or not he was like Christ, I don't know really what, uh, how relevant is that? You know, if he was not like Christ, that's his, that's on him. If he was like Christ, when awesome, you know, praise God, if he was like Christ. Either way, the question is, like, did he write what he wrote? Was it in line with all of the rest of Scripture? Okay, and that's another whole topic. So that is really what I would say to that, uh, seek truth in Christ. If you were watching, I'm not sure if you're in in the background there in uh, watching, but uh, that that's really it. Um, if he wasn't like Christ, that's what, it's like people... What happens is I get this every once in a while, not that often, but I get this every once in a while. It's like, you know, people blame, like people say that I'm, you know, you're, um, you know, you're a Torah breaker. You're, you know, you can't obey the law or you're a Pharisee or you're a hypocrite. It's like, well, first of all, what, why do you say that? Do you have, what's your evidence? Like if there's something I'm doing wrong, let me know. I want to know about it and I'll repent to the best of my ability. That's the way I look at it. But anyway, it's like, so if I make a video or whatever, write an article, and I present a few points on a certain topic, and someone says, you're, you know, um, completely off topic, like you're a Pharisee, or you're a hypocrite, or whatever the case is, it's like, so what? <laughs> if I'm a Pharisee, <laughs> Paul was a Pharisee, he said it three times. He's, he didn't say I used to be, Right? He didn't say I used to be a Pharisee. He didn't say I I repented from being a Pharisee. Oh, back in the old life, he said, I am a Pharisee. Um, so it's like if if I'm doing something wrong, yeah, I'd like to know about it, but I mean, hey, it's like if you really if you really want to do it in the proper manner, <laughs> if if you know something I don't, send me a private message. And let me know. I, I want to know. Right? If, if you know something I don't, then sure, um, I'll do everything I can to to make sure it's good. But even if I am not following, let's let's just say if I'm not following the Torah, but everything I say is is in line with the Torah, then it's, it's like <laughs> it's like okay. So you want to just personally attack me? I mean, if I you know, it's it's just ridiculous. People are just so desperate to somehow distract people from the truth because they don't believe the truth. They're believing mo the mo what I call the modern day Christian gospel, the modern day Christian narrative. So it doesn't matter. Same with Paul too. It doesn't really matter. Like if Paul was living right or wrong to me, it's like, that's beside the point. My question is, what he wrote, was that absolutely in line with the rest of the, the law and the prophets, or was it not? And again, that's a totally different topic. So, um, the Tower Times says, please tap that like button and share with your friends and your enemies, LOL. Yes, thank you very much, uh, the Tower Time. I appreciate that. Let's get into 1 Samuel chapter 1. Let me just, uh, just got to pull it up here. 
Okay, First Samuel chapter one. Awesome, awesome story. I got as you you probably saw in the uh, in the subtitles or the um, the title itself or the uh, thumbnail. I got some things I would like to say about some of these things. So uh, in regards to Hannah, how she acted when she was praying, how she behaved, um, lots of stuff about that. Let's let's get into it. First Samuel chapter one. Now there was a man from Ramathaim, Zophim, from the country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Yehoram, excuse me, Yehor, Yehoham. I think I said that wrong. Yor, <laughs> Yeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Panina. Panina, in the footnotes, the second. The second wife was Panina. And Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this, this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of armies in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, or Pinchas in the Hebrew, were priests to the Lord there. When the, when they came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife Hannah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved Hannah. But the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, moreover, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. Let me just stop here for a second. After reading all, all the stuff that we've read in so far in in the Bible, in the Tanakh, in the in the Torah, and, and up to this point, and also reading a lot of the different other extra biblical texts. You got to ask the question, did God close her womb because she was Elkanah's favorite? Because she was Elkanah's favorite, because he had an ex like an extraordinary and how will I say it, disproportionate amount of love for her as opposed to his other wife, Penina. Could it be that that's the reason why God closed her womb. Never forget, never forget, God has, God is always on his throne, and God is always judge, and judgments always are coming down from God. Those judgments can be for you in blessings, or they can be against you. God forbid. Verse 7, and it happened year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, that she would provoke her so she wept and would not eat. So she fasted. Then Hannah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? <laughs> it's like Alcana is like, hey, you got me, okay? Son, you, need, you want sons? Hey, you got me. I'm better than ten sons. This is basically what he's saying. 
Verse 9. Then Hannah got up after eating and drinking in Shiloh. And Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She grew greatly distressed. Now in the notes again, bitter of soul. Literally, that's what it means. It doesn't literally say greatly distressed, but greatly distressed, but it says bitter of soul. She, bitter of soul, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she made a vow and said, Lord of arms, this would be the Lord of hosts in some of the other translations. Lord of hosts. Or Yahuwah Sevaot, okay, the Lord of the Lord of armies. If you will indeed look upon the affliction Affliction, remember that word affliction is very closely closely related in the Hebrew to the word that is also translated as humble, humble or humility. If you will, will indeed look on the affliction of your bondservant and remember me and not forget your bondservant, but I will give your bondservant, excuse me, but you, but will give your bondservant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall not shall never come on his head. Now, what was what was um, Hannah saying here? Why did she say that? Again, in context here, in the cultural context, in knowing the Word of God, Numbers chapter six, we we read earlier too, in Judges, the whole story of Samson, very clearly paints this picture as well. What Hannah is saying here is, if you give me a son, Lord, I will I will dedicate, he will be a Nazarite unto you. So he will live as, a, as consecrated unto you as a Nazarite from conception, basically, all of his life. That's the reason why she said, if you will give me a son, I will give him to you. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. In other words, he's. I'm going to make sure he's. he is going to be slotted in that, you know, turbo boost Torah. I'm talking, you know, the, the Nazarite vow all the way. Not just, your, not just your Torah observant, but also that extra step of the Nazarite. I'm going to make sure he is dedicated to the utmost to you. Verse 12. Now it came about as she continued praying. Okay, so she continued. In the footnotes, it says multiplied. I like that. How would you like to multiply your prayers? Not just pray, but multiply. Hey, I didn't pray today. I, I multiplied my prayers today. So she multiplied praying before the Lord. So in other words, like she really just poured out her heart. She really just opened up to the Lord and she just gave her everything. You know what happens when you do that? You know what happens when you do that? God responds. And you can, I, I, I hesitate to say you can expect because, he, but often God will pour out his spirit upon you when you do this. Remember in Acts chapter two, they were all in prayer. Right? when the Spirit of God was poured out upon them. Now, again, in Acts chapter 2, that's the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. The Spirit of God poured out on all flesh. 
as opposed to just Jewish flesh or just the children of Israel? Because we read through the, the entire Tanakh on how God poured out his spirit upon the children of Israel. That happened over and over again. We will read that as we go on. Over and over and over again, God poured out his spirit upon people, filled people with his spirit. We got, we got Bezalel, we got lots of people in the so-called Old Testament that God filled with his spirit. But Hannah completely just yielded and poured out her soul unto the Lord. She multiplied her prayers before the Lord. And it came about as she continued, as she multiplied praying before the Lord, that Ellie was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were quivering, but her voice was not heard. So Ellie thought she was drunk. Okay. Now, I know, I know it doesn't explicitly give us all the details here, but it gives us some really good circumstantial evidence. It gives us some really good clues as to how Hannah was behaving, how she presented herself. Now, it wasn't just moving her lips, okay? That's not it. That's not, that, that wasn't the be-all, end-all of what she was doing. Because many people, you know, they go around, many people could just kind of mutter some things under their voice or say some things. You would not think they're drunk. Obviously, Hannah was behaving, she was presenting in a way that convinced Ellie that she was drunk. Very similar to Acts chapter 2 here. Very similar. Think about it for a minute. I want you guys just to spend just, just a moment about this. What, what would convince you that somebody is drunk? How would they behave? Not just quietly saying some things to themselves or praying quietly. That's <laughs> can you imagine walking into church and your in your and your pastor sitting there just quietly praying? Pastor, are you drunk? No, you wouldn't do that. Unless there was more to it than that. You hear what I'm saying? Again, we don't have all the details here, but we do have enough information to lead us to believe without beyond a reasonable doubt that Hannah was behaving in such a way that she actually appeared drunk. Otherwise, Ellie would not have thought that she was drunk. So Ellie thought that she was drunk in verse 13. Then Ellie said to her, how long will you behave like a drunk? So see, she was behaving like a drunk. She was behaving like a drunk. What do you think she was doing? What do you think she was doing? I mean, if she was kind of stumbling, and again, like, it wouldn't have been just moving her lips. And it says here that nothing was heard, right? So it wasn't like she was talking weird. That's not the way it was. 
as it says in Dean. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were quivering, but her voice was not heard. It was not heard. Okay. So it was nothing about the way she sounded. In fact, why would Ellie even hear her anyway? Because she's like, she's not talking to Ellie. She's way off. She's, she's praying. Like I've shared, I've shared this a few times before. And when I first, when I first really started walking with the Lord in 1992, I mean, let me, let me just give you a little bit of more personal testimony for me, like my own personal experience. When I first really started following God, like following the Lord and, and just push, pressing into the, to the kingdom of God, so to speak, you know, rededicating my life to the Lord. I mean, just reading the scriptures daily, praying, I get myself pouring out my heart to the Lord. I came as a teenager, I came from a background where like I, there was, during the year of 1991, there was very, very few days. I'm not kidding. Maybe, maybe three days that I was actually straight. I mean, without being under the influence of something, okay? But after I after I came to God, okay, like just completely given, like actually God completely set me free from all that stuff, completely set me free for months. And God's presence, I would experience God's presence to the point where it's like, wow, like I was like, I felt like I was like, <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. I just don't know how to explain it. Like just pure ecstasy, I guess you would call it. And I remember going to the mirror. This I was 18 years old at the time. I remember going to the mirror and looking at the mirror and going, am I as, do I look the way I feel? <laughs> do I look the way I feel? And so, you know, it is possible to experience God in a way that when God just completely overwhelms you, completely overwhelms you, you feel overwhelmed with his light, with his love, with his peace, with his power, with his majesty, with his presence. And I did one of the, I can talk about it for days, I'm telling you, but just one little quick little snippet. And I mentioned this before, the experiences that I had with the Lord in my own living room. This would have been how many years ago? 25 years ago. And I was praying. I was actually singing. I had my guitar and I was singing, just pouring out my heart to the Lord and just singing and worshiping Him. I had a couple friends over and I just got lost in the Lord. I mean, it was just absolutely beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful experience. It was so, so powerful and so, so real. It's almost, you know that song, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. That's the way it was. It was like everything, it was like, uh, I don't know how to describe it. It was like I was in the throne room of God. It's, 
I was in heaven. That's how it was. I was playing my guitar and worshiping the Lord and worshiping and worshiping and pouring out my, my heart and my spirit to the Lord. And the glory, the cloud got so thick, so, so thick. The same thing we read in the days of Moses after the dedication of the, uh, after the building of the tabernacle, the same thing we read in the uh, days of Solomon after the ded dedication of the temple. Uh, and oh, I, and I'm, I don't know how to explain it other than just saying this. I was sitting on a couch playing guitar because I don't think I could stand, but I hardly, <laughs> and if you never experienced this before, you'd be like, what are you talking about? But I could hardly stay. I could hardly sit. The presence of God was so thick. I literally struggled to stay seated on that, on that couch. So when you, I don't know how many of you have experienced this, and I, I pray that everybody experiences something like this. I mean, but I mean, whatever the case is in your in your walk with the Lord, what happens is when when you experience something with with God, and you're reading the scriptures, all of a sudden you see things like that you've never saw before. It's like, wow, I see, I know exactly what that is. I know exactly what that means. Like in the days of Daniel, when it says that the Lord in his, you know, and, and a trembling, a great trembling fell upon him. I know exactly what that is. Have you ever, you notice this, for those of you who own vehicles, if you own a car or a truck, whatever you own, and you buy a new one, okay, you buy a new car, and it's like, all of a sudden, you see that same make and model car everywhere, don't you? It's like, you know, if you buy a new Toyota or whatever, all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, you got one. Too. Oh, there's another one over there. Oh, hey, that one's just, it's this exact same color as what I got. And for some reason, you know, a couple weeks ago, you didn't notice that. And that's the way it is with the scriptures. When you read the scriptures, and this is why I think it's one of the reasons why it's important to keep on reading, keep on reading the scriptures and keep it fresh in your mind because hey when you walk with always fresh it's never boring if if you're bored <laughs> i don't know what to, how to say it but if you're bored you need to <laughs> get back on track you need to get back on track if you're bored you gotta kind of reassess a little bit because walking with, the, with God Almighty is never boring. It's always fresh. Something's always new. Uh, before we go too far here, let's see what we got. Kanda says, good evening. Good evening. Good to see you. Welcome. Bibi says, shalom uh, to uh, Christopher and uh, to all. Good evening, everyone from Will Sr. and I. Good evening as well. Good to see you. Good to see you. Blessings multiplied to you and will. Christina says, if someone was mumbling under their breath, I thought I would think they were drunk. I think that Hannah probably wasn't mumbling. Um, probably just silently praying, but yeah. 
Um, Pamela says, I always go to the mirror when that happens. Oh, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> you always go to the mirror and say, you know, in the way it's like the way you feel, it's like, man, if I was, you know, if I would, someone would think I'd be, I was, uh, I was under, you know, I was doing something. Pamela says, uh, one time I could barely walk back into the area I was, I was because of his presence was like trying to walk through a barricade. Totally understand. Totally hear you. Totally. It reminds me. Let me tell you. How can I? I got to tell you one more quick little story. This is this is the truth. And this is a story from again. I'd say it was about um, 27 years ago. About 27 years ago. Um, yeah, Pamela says I'm. I'm hoping I will see Jesus in the mirror. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? About 27 years ago, um, I used to go to a church where they would have one of the leaders of the church come over um, to my home and do a Bible study. And this church was not like that. It wasn't really like a charismatic church like that. Okay. It was, it was. <sighs> It was it was kind of like an, a Pentecostal, but not so charismatic. You wouldn't you wouldn't see this kind of thing uh, at this church. And actually, it was the first the first time um, there was the Bible study leader that came was one of the leaders of the church, and he had another gentleman come over to train us how to evangelize. This back in nineteen ninety four. Let me think. No. Three? 1993? 1994. Late 1993 or early 1994. Somewhere's around there. And so there were times that, that, uh, that we had Bible studies before, but never with this other particular gentleman that came over to try to train us how to evangelize. Like, this is how you share Jesus. This is how you share the gospel. And so while he was making his presentation... In my living room. Now again, please understand, these guys are reserved. Okay? They're not they're not like, you know, what do you call the rollers or nothing like this. These guys are reserved. The most you'd get out of them, okay, it was like a Pentecostal, you, you, you they would raise their hands, maybe dance a little like a little bit of a two-step dance or something like that. But never anything more like anything more than that. Speaking in tongues a little bit, why well, I shouldn't say a little bit, a lot of it was, there was an emphasis on that. But any more than that, it wasn't, you wouldn't see anything more than that. But what happened was the presence of God came into the room, in the living room. And all of a sudden, actually my mother was there and she was hit with, she started laughing. And she could not stop. Like this is a meeting where we were we we were reading the Bible, and this and this particular gentleman was just talking about you know going around and and uh, talking to people about God. And my mother started, started laughing; she couldn't stop. And then within minutes, the Bible study leader, which again this is a reserve this this guy's reserved guy, really reserved. 
He started laughing and he couldn't stop. <laughs> and it was an amazing, the Bible study leader, his sister was there as well. And what God did in that meeting, it was in my living room. So amazing. Because the whole meeting, it was God's blessing poured out us. And to make a long story short, the Bible study leader could not, by the end of the, by the end of the night, he could not walk. He could not walk back. He could not go from my living room to the door to go to at the end of the night. He couldn't leave. His sister had to carry him. Good thing he was a lighter man. And he wasn't like, he was a younger man. He was, in, I think, probably in his 20s, but he was lighter. Um, and um, his sister had to carry him. And he was laughing all the way up. And this was going on for hours. God can do whatever he wants to do to whomever he wants to do it, whenever he wants to do it. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful night that I have very, very fond memories of. Because like, it increased our faith. It increased our awe, you know, just awe-inspiring, like God just did something supernatural here. And it showed us that God was with us at that time. And it was actually that meeting that kind of springboarded me going around talking to everybody about the Lord, talking to everybody about God. And so um, if it wasn't for that meeting, I there'd be a lot of experience I, that I would not have under my belt. Because of that meeting, it, I went out into the streets I went even from door to door. I did spiritual surveys. I talked to literally, uh, I don't know how many thousand. I think, I, you know what? I think I counted over 3,000 people face-to-face, face-to-face. Uh, within a matter of just like a year, um, like big, no big meetings back in those days. It was just like face-to-face, street, you know, door-to-door, you know, that, that kind of thing. Uh, it really showed me a lot, really taught me a lot. If I didn't have that experience, uh, I would not have the knowledge that I have today in regard to that particular, uh, that particular part of evangelizing and how, what people think about God. This was back in 1990, again, 1994. Um, the public of God back in those days, you know, like the, the opinion that church was, I yeah, I got this a lot. It's like a lot of people said church was just full of hypocrites. It was just a place to go just to just to dress up and show off kind of thing. I got that a lot from a lot of people. Um, so it really kind of opened my eyes to see what the, the general public thought about church and all that kind of thing. Pamela says, I wish I knew what that berry feeling was. Didn't know back then. I 
I would have went back and enjoyed it. Pamela says, nice. Wish I couldn't walk from that. Mostly just, uh, mostly just stagger. Yeah, yeah, that's what. God can do whatever he wants to do. God can do whatever he wants to do. And um, it's amazing. You think that, and you know what? For those of you who don't know about that, you're wondering like, what is this all about and all that kind of thing. The only thing I would, I would advise you to do is not judge it. Not to judge it without a lot of knowledge of it, okay? Um, like, because a lot of people judge it. A lot of people they yap off and they and they blaspheme is what they do. Um, I would encourage people not to do that um, because you don't want to be. We need to come to the table with an open heart and an open mind, not an empty mind, an open mind. We don't want to limit God in any way. Okay, back to Samuel chapter 1, verse 13. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her, in her heart. In her heart. Only her lips were quivering. Her voice was not heard, so Ellie thought she was drunk. Then Ellie said to her, How long will you be drunk? Get rid of your wine. But Hannah answered and said, No, my lord. I am a woman despairing in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. And again, that's that's the key right there. For those of you who would like to experience what we're talking about, the key is to pour out your spirit, your soul before the Lord. You got to get desperate. You got to be. You got to. Pour out your soul. Sometimes it may it may happen like that. Sometimes it may take hours. Hey, Jacob, when he had it, when he had his experience of wrestling with it with the angel, it took all night. He was wrestling all night before he finally got what he wanted. It all depends. Everybody's different. Sixteen. Do not consider your bond a useless woman. For I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Then Ellie answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your request that you have asked of him. She said, Let your bondservant find favor in your So the woman went on her way, ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they got up early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. And returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife. The Lord remembered her. It came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she, had, that she gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel. Saying, because I have asked for him of the Lord. As you see the word Samuel. Uh, in Hebrew, actually, is asked of God, right? Shem, Shemu, Sh, uh, Shemuel, or Sh, Sh, Shemuel uh, means asked of God. El is God, right? So again, again, we see this here as well, is we have El is in God, and the Lord 
used interchangeably here. Verse 21, then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer the Lord, offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go until the child is weaned. Then I will bring him, so that he may appear before the Lord and stay there for life. Let me just say here too, before we get too far, if I can just interject here. Very shortly here, we're going to agree where God called Samuel. And I know some people, they use that story to say that uh, Ellie taught Samuel how to hear from God. That's not the truth. Ellie didn't teach Samuel to hear from God. Because that's what prophet... You got a lot of people in the church today that that try to teach people, like, you know, the prophet... School of prophecy, this kind of thing. Now, I've been there, done that, okay? And I've heard some of this teaching before. And it really is not, it really is not in line with the scripture. We'll get to that in just a moment. Verse 23. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Stay until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman stayed as her son until she weaned him. Now, when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull, one ephah of flour and a jug of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. And she said, Pardon me, my Lord, as my soul lives, my Lord, I am a woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I am the woman who stood beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy, I for this boy I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my request which I asked of him. I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. So this word dedicated again in the um the footnotes, Lent. I've lent him to the Lord. Lent him to the Lord. First Samuel chapter 2. Hannah's song of thanksgiving. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. What does this mean, my horn is exalted? Basically, I exalt. I am... I boast in the Lord. This is my pride. That's what that means. The horn, the, the horn speaks about pride, exaltation, that kind of thing. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one to you, nor is there any rock like our God. Do not go on boasting very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, broken to pieces, but those who have stumbled strap on strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry cease to be hungry. This whole concept, by the way, if I can stop here for a second, this whole concept is like, like you know, that he will, like, we read about this throughout the scriptures, like 
The proud will be brought low. The humble will be raised up. The mountains will be brought low. The valleys will be raised up. It's basically the same, the same concept. Those who are mighty will be broken to pieces. Those who have stumbled strap on strength. Those who have stumbled, I get, you know, signifying weeks. Those who were full hired themselves up for bread. Those who were hungry ceased to be hungry. Even the infertile woman gives birth to seven. Again, this word seven is not literal. It means like an all-encompassing complete number. It's like basically it could mean, you know, 17 uh, for, for that matter. But it's just it's, it's, um, it's a figurative figure of speech. But she who has many children languishes. The Lord puts to death and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and brings up. Sheol would be the... The Lord makes poor and rich. By the way, again, you got a lot of people who... Uh, some of these um, so-called prosperity preachers and prosperity, the prosperity gospel from the rich, but they don't, you don't hear them talking about this particular concept here. The Lord makes poor. It depends who you are. It depends who you are. He can make some people poor. He can make others rich. He humbles and he also exalts. He praises the, the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the garbage heap to seat them with nobles. He gives them a seat of honor as an inheritance. For the pits of the earth are the Lord's, and he will set the world on them. He watches over the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall a person prevail. In other words, it's not by your own strength that you get victory or that you prevail. Not by, it's not by might, not by human strength. Those who contend with the Lord will be terrified. Against them, he will thunder in the heavens. And again, this is a figure of speech. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king. And he will exalt the horn of his anointed. Now remember, at this point in time, there was no king. He will exalt the horn of his anointed. In other words, again, exalt the Messiah, the Mashiach. Uh, in the um, footnotes, it says strength. He will, he will exalt the strength of, of his anointed. Then Elkanah went to his home at Ramah. But the boy continued to attend to the service of the Lord before Eli the priest. Okay, So Samuel stayed there with Eli in the temple. Now, the sons of Eli were useless men. Probably here it says sons of Belial. Let me see if it's a look here. It does. L literally, sons of Belial. And we talked about this uh, last night. Uh, this word Belial is a variation of the word Belier. Some, some um, translations actually have Belier. Some have Belial. Uh, but Belier is actually where, where we get the word liar from. Liar. Literally meaning like worthless, as lies are empty, meaningless. So the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. Now again, does that mean that the devil actually, you know, that, that the devil is actually the father of the, 
Eli's sons? Well, of course it says here, the sons of Eli. These were, you know, in the flesh, biologically speaking, they were sons of Eli. It's not like the devil had a little fling with Eli's <laughs> with Ellie's wife. That's not, it's not talking about physical thing. It's not, not talking about physical at all. It's just like in John chapter eight, when Jesus said to a specific small people, again, he didn't say this to everybody. He said this to one, one specific group of people once in his life. You are, your, your father is the devil again. And then a little bit later on, he said, I know you are children of Abraham. In other words, in the flesh, you are children of Abraham. According to the biological, make your, your DNA is from Abraham, okay? Abraham is your father. But spiritually speaking, he's not your father. And that's the way it is here as well. These sons of Eli, in the flesh, biologically speaking, they were his sons. They were, of course, it says sons of Eli. But in the spirit, Spiritually speaking, they were sons of Belial. They did not know the Lord. And this was the custom of the people. When anyone was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was cooking with a three-pronged fork in his hand. And he would thrust it into the pan or kettle, cauldron or pot, Everything that fork, fork the priest would take for himself. They did so in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before that, the priest's servant would come up and say to the man who was sacrificing, give the priest meat for roasting, as, as he will not take cooked meat, cooked meat for, from you, only raw. And if the man said to him, they must burn the fat first, then take as much as you desire, then he would say, no, you must give it to me now. I'm taking it by force. And so the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord disrespectfully. Now Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a boy wearing a linen ephod. And his mother would make for him a little robe and bring it up to him from year to year when she would come up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine not seeing your little boy as like your only son? Like not seeing, like it sounds like she only saw once a year. Maybe she saw, maybe she saw more than that. But it sounds like, you know, it's just once a year. Um, but even so, it's like, you know, seeing your own boy from the time that he was weaned. And that was a sacrifice. That was a sacrifice. But thank God. I mean, hey, with Hannah's sacrifice and Hannah's sacrifice, look what we have today. You know, Samuel was a mighty, mighty prophet of God. Then Eli would bless Elkanah, his wife, and say, May the Lord give you children from this woman in place of the one she requested of the Lord. And they went to their own home. The Lord indeed visited Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew up before the Lord. Again, in the footnotes, he grew up with the Lord here. Literally, it says. 
literally with the Lord. Now, Eli was very old, and he heard about everything that his sons were doing to all Israel, and that they slept with the women who served at the tent of meeting. So he said to them, Why are you doing such things as these, the evil things from all these people? No, my sons, for the report is not good which I hear the Lord's people circulating. If one person sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a person sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father. For the Lord desired death. Now, there, there we go again. How many times do we read this? Many, many times. From the times of... Uh, we got Pharaoh, okay? We, we got time and time again where it's like, okay, it doesn't explicitly say word for word that the Lord hardened their hearts, but it instantly says that. It certainly implies that. It's basically that God hardened their hearts because the Lord desired, because basically the Lord, well, loudly, God didn't like them. God did not like them. So God hardened their heart. You know? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for the Lord desired to put them to death. Some people would put this backwards. They would say the Lord hired, you know, the Lord, the Lord desired to put them to death because they would not listen to the voice of their father. Mm-mm, no, that's not how it goes. That's not how it goes. They would not listen to the voice of their father. In other words, they would not take good advice because the Lord orchestrated that. They, the Lord desired to put them to death. Remember what it says in Romans uh, 9, where it says the Lord hardens whom he wills, and he has mercy upon whom he wills. I see Erlen there in the chat says, Shalom, everyone. Much peace and love. Much peace and love multiplied back to you, Erlen. Good to see you. Verse 26. Now the boy Samuel was continuing to grow and be in favor with both the Lord and with the people. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, this is what the Lord says. Do I, do I not indeed reveal myself to the house of your father born, well, excuse me, when they were in Egypt in the in bond Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose them from all the tribes of Israel to be my priests, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to carry an ephod before me? And did I not give this house of your father or the house of your father fire offerings? of the sons of Israel. Why are you showing contempt for my sacrifice and my offering, which I have my dwelling? And why are you honoring your sons above me? Hmm, what is, that's, that's serious. By making yourself, by making yourselves fat with the choices of every offering of my people Israel. Therefore, the Lord of Israel declares, I indeed, I did indeed say, that your house and the house of your father was walked before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me will be insignificant. Behold, the days are coming when I will eliminate your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. 
and you will look at the distress of my dwelling in spite of all the good that I do for Israel. And there will never be an old man in your house. Yet I will not cut off every man of you from my altar so that your eyes will fail from weeping will grieve and all the increase of your house will die in the prime of life. And this will be the sign to you which will come regard to your two sons, Hophni and Pinchas, Phinehas in the English. On the same day, both of them will die. But I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and my soul. Build him an enduring house and he will walk before my anointed always. And everyone who is left in your house will come to bow down for a silver coin or a loaf of bread and say, please assign me to one of the priest's office so that I may eat a a piece of bread. Okay. I'm just going to go back here a little bit because there's so much here. Um, this particular thing is highlighted here. This is 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 26. Now, the boy Samuel was continuing, continuing to grow and to be in favor both with the Lord and with people. Now, it says this also in other places of Scripture as well. Where it says, like, and this is not always the case. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is always the case because there's always there are always exceptions to the rule. But it's like if God if God has favor on you, if He has mercy on you, a lot of times even your enemies will be at peace with you. And that reminds me. Let me if I can just pull up. Um, if I can just pull up that particular scripture. That is Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, again, we know as a disclaimer, I'm not saying this is the case always, but a lot of for general rule, yes, it is. And I say it's not always the case because we times when we have men of God that are persecuted, and that's what happens. Uh, persecuted, they have enemies. Um, but at the same time, a lot of times God can give you favor in the eyes of your enemies. Pamela says, I just read that Proverbs today. Wow, that's awesome. Awesome. Um, I don't know how many times this has happened to myself. It's like you just read something and then all of a sudden, like later on that same day or, or somebody else just within a short period of time just reads it as well. It's like, you know, just... You see God right there. You see God. Okay, so, and also, before I go into the next chapter, and I'm really looking forward to get to the chapter, um, I'm really looking forward to talk about uh, Samuel hearing God here. Um, and that is in the next chapter. But in the end of chapter two there, just to kind of ruminate, as you were, as you will, on um, on this, how Eli honored his sons more than the Lord, and that cost him like everything. And that's very serious, very, very serious. That is just, I, I just find that amazing. Let's just do, um, okay, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 
Now the boy Samuel was attending to the service of the Lord before Eli. So what does this mean? So so he was there, you know, at the at at the uh, at the temple, the tabernacle, and he was doing he was attending to all like the service of the Lord. He would be right there with with Eli, you know, doing all of the things, um, you know, attending to the table of showbread and lighting the the menorah or you know lighting the incense or helping Ellie one way or one way or another um to the articles in the holy of holies the ark of the lord so he samuel i mean what better what better um circumstances can you ask for uh than to be in that like be right there in you know, in the temple or in the tabernacle, right before the presence of God, with Ellie, like the man of God. I mean, that's the best place anybody could ever be, especially at that point in time. Moving on, verse the last part of verse 1, And the word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. And I find that very interesting as well, because there are times when God speaks a lot, and there's times when he doesn't speak a lot. God is not a chatterbox. There are times when he's quiet. Sometimes it's like, you know, you want a word from the Lord. And sometimes God can just say, hey, you know, you've got over a thousand pages right there in front of you. You got the Bible. Open it up and read it. There's my word. That's me. I mean, I'm speaking to you right there. Learn that first. Then I'll speak to you some more, right? Uh, but sometimes the word of the Lord is is rare and what that means is again it's a fresh word of the lord the lord speaking to people not just from the scriptures but also um personally because you know they had the scriptures back in those days as well uh, especially the, the the books of moses and i believe the book of enoch as well as the book of jubilees and so on and so forth but um as far as direct revelation from the lord it was not very common literally there was no vision spreading in those days verse 2 but it happened at the time at that time as ellie was lying down in his place now his eyesight had begun to be poor and uh, he could not see well that reminds me of um that reminds me of the atangs in the uh, in Ethiopia, in Aksum, Ethiopia, at the Saint Mary's Chapel, where, where it is that the Ark of the Covenant is now, and I know there are many different. Uh, you know, I don't want to go into it right now very much. I honestly believe that there's more evidence. Let me just say this: the Ethiopians have a better. Um, they have they can present better evidence than anybody else that the Ark of the Covenant is there. The documentation, the other artifacts of the temple, archaeological evidence, um, very, very detailed account of who brought the Ark there and where it stopped and how long it was there. And right to the right to the names like Mechida had Menelik and Menelik went over there to to his uh, to his father, Solomon, all these kind of things. OK, um, anyway, without without getting into that too much. One of the things is about 
the Ark of the Covenant that they say is in Ethiopia in St. Mary's Chapel in Aksum. Um, the, the person who looks after the Ark, because they're, they're, ever since, the, as the account goes, ever since the days of Solomon, ever since Menelik brought the Ark up, or down, I should say, to Ethiopia, um, there has been a Levite that has been put in charge of looking after the Ark. And that Levite, the, the job would be uh, that that Levite would never be allowed to go home. The Levite would have to live there at that place all of his life until he, until he passed away. And then they would get another, another um, they would elect, or I'm not sure exactly how it works, whether it's election or whether it's just succession, uh, but another Levite would, would take his place. But they say that over, over the thousands of years, over the centuries and thousands of years, um, one common thing about these people, these men that have looked after the Ark, the Atang, Atang is, uh, is an Ethiopian word that means keeper, of the, the keeper of the Ark. And they say one of the things um, that is very common, a common th- occurrence amongst all of these men that looked after the Ark is that they had cataracts quite early. And when they ask them, why do you think you have cataracts? And they're like, well, when you see the glory of God as much as we see, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, That's just what they say anyway. Um, So I just wanted to put that out there. Pamela says, Levite. Okay, so very similar to what what we hear from Ethiopia. Now his eyesight had begun to be poor and he could not see well. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out as Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Where? <laughs> uh, again, I, I'm sorry, but I think about this for a minute with me. Can you imagine sleeping in the presence of the ark of the covenant? <laughs> wow. What kind of dreams would you have? Byron, we were talking about dreams earlier. I'm not sure if you're still there, Byron, but can you imagine the dreams you'd have sleep right there, like in the Holy of Holies? <laughs> wow. Um, that's just amazing. That's just absolutely amazing. Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Right there, right there, right there before the presence of 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 the Lord of the universe, right there, right there before the presence of God, that the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. Then he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call, go back and lie down. So he went, he went and and lay down. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Go, go back and lay down. Now Samuel did not, know, did not yet know the Lord. For, or excuse me, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. So again, let me just stop here for a second. This is awesome. This is awesome, guys. It is possible to be in the presence of God right there before the Ark of the Covenant and still not have that revelation. 
Can you imagine? Again, this is this is shocking. One of the greatest, one of the greatest meetings I have ever attended in September 11th, 1992. I'll never forget it. Talk about the glory of God, the cloud of the glory of God appeared. I'll never forget it. I, after that happened, after that experience, I wept. I mean, I wept every single day for three months straight. Three months. It was a life shaking changing experience. Yet there were there was a person sitting like right a couple seats down from me, my friend's wife. And to her, it's like nothing happened. I don't know. I don't know. How does that happen? How does that work? Again, it's not really physical. I, I you know think about when when Yeshua uh, was talking to the woman at the well, and the woman at the well, the Samaritan, was like, "Well, which, where do we worship God? Where's the, where's the, where's the place?" And yet she was like, "It doesn't matter. Um, worship Him in spirit and truth. That's where you worship Him." So there's that, there's that element in there. There's an element. You can be in the right place. You can see. You can experience awesome things, but yet just it can still just go right over your head. And I pray that doesn't happen to any of you. I, I pray that uh, every one of you is like, like a is like a wind or like a sail on a, on a on an old fashioned you know sailboat. Like you got that mat raised up high, and you got the you know you you're, you you position yourself to catch the wind. You position yourself to catch catch the wind of God. Catch the wind of the Spirit. Because all you have to be positioned, it just takes a 90-degree turn, and you completely miss everything. You completely miss everything. You take a wind turbine, you turn it 90 and it doesn't get anything. No power. Verse 7, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again for a third time. And he got up and went to Eli and he said, here I am. You've called me. Then Eli realized, okay, it took three times. <laughs> then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. Okay, let me stop here again. I'm not sure how many of you have been involved in charismatic churches or teaching about hearing the voice of God or the prophetic voice, like that kind of thing, uh, or attend prophetic schools and all that kind of thing. But I've heard the teaching, I've heard this teaching, that, that Ellie taught Samuel how to hear God. And the, the background behind that teaching is, you know, that you go to, you know, the prophetic school, you should ha you should let someone teach you to, to, to hear God because you need to be taught how to hear God. I don't necessarily believe that. I don't necessarily believe that. 
I think that hearing from God is a spiritual gift, not not an acquired skill taught by men. I believe that hearing God's voice is a spiritual gift, not an acquired skill taught by men. Again, I, this, I know this one this one pastor. He taught. He said, "No, you know, you need to, you know, you need to be taught how to hear God because Ellie taught Samuel how to hear God." Uh, sorry, but Ellie was a priest. He wasn't a prophet. Okay, Ellie himself didn't hear God, but it was just it was just plain simple logic. There are only three people in the temple. Ellie, Samuel, and God. That's it. Ellie's sleeping over here. Samuel's sleeping right before the presence of God. And three times now, Samuel heard his, his, his name called. Samuel! If it wasn't Ellie, who is it? There's only, another, there's only one other choice that it can be. That's it. It's only one other choice. I think that even worldly people can uh, uh, can understand. Even unbelievers can say, "Hey, if you got a temple, and you got, if God is in the temple, and you got a priest and little boy, and the boy was sleeping before the presence of God, and he hears his voice, hear, hears his name called three times, and it wasn't it wasn't the priest. Who else could it be? It's God. It's simple." Very, very simple. In fact, we'll read it a little bit later on here. When Ellie needed to hear the word of God, God sent someone else to, to deliver the word to him because Ellie didn't know how to hear the I mean, it's not that you to rephrase that because it, it shouldn't. It's not that Ellie didn't know how to. It's just that God beat to him or, you know, that it wasn't his role. He was a priest. He wasn't a prophet. So how can Ellie teach Samuel to hear from God? Ellie never heard from God. What we're reading here is just common sense. Just common sense. Then Ellie realized, this is the end of verse 8, then Ellie realized that the Lord was calling the boy. Yeah, of course. And Ellie said to Samuel, go lie down and it shall be if he calls you that you shall say, speak, Lord. Again, we got the Y-H-W-H, the yud hey wow hey Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lied, lay down in his place. Then the Lord came and stood and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am going to do a thing in Israel, and both, ear, both ears of everyone who hears about it will ring. On that day I will carry up against Eli <laughs> everything that I have spoken in regard to his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am going to judge his house forever for the wrongdoing that he knew. 
because his sons were bringing a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. Therefore, I was sworn to the house. I have sworn to the house of Eli that the wrongdoing of Eli's house shall never be atoned for sacrifice or offering. Wow. Wow. Now, for those of you, okay, that, you know, let me just, Christians will tell you that Yeshua's death was the, the fulfillment of the sacrificial system. Time and time again, we read throughout the talk that the sacrificial system did not cover sins time and time again. Sometimes it did, but a lot of times it didn't. Okay? And this is one time it didn't. It, it didn't cover the sins here for Ellie's house. Another, another, yet another. If we have a tally, if someone's keeping a tally, how many times in the, in the Bible does it say that the sacrifice of an animal does not cover sins? Here we are, another one. Another one to add to the tally. Verse 15. So, so Samuel lay down until morning, and he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. But Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Oh, yeah, I think I'd be afraid. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he said, here, here I am. And he said, what is the word that he spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. May God do the same to you, and more so, hide a single word from me of all the words that he spoke to you. So Samuel told everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, he is the Lord. Let him do what, it, what seems good to him. Now Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. He let none of his words fail. And all Israel from Dan, even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh because the Lord re revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Okay, let me see what we got here in the, uh, just a second here. Okay, um, before I get to First Samuel chapter 4, 24 says, maybe I'm wrong. Is it not pronounced Eli and not Eli? Am I not wrong? Okay, so uh, I will double check with that. Okay, I'll double check since you bring it up. As far as I know, the correct pronunciation of this is Eli. Um, you got me confused now. Eli uh, in the Hebrew. But let me check. Let me just check. Um, so let's go to first Samuel chapter three. Okay. So just give me a second here.
Okay. According to, I'm just listening to strong. I can't even, I don't know if I can. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I can, I can show you guys. Um, maybe I can. Hold on a second. Maybe I can. Um, just give me a second, guys. Uh, Chrome tab. Now, keep this in mind, okay? I want you guys, you guys should know this. Um, because the Strong's pronunciation is not always accurate either, okay? It's not always accurate. Some of the Strong's pronunciations are not accurate. But let me see. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this for you guys, the Strong's pronunciation of, it's not, it's not Eli, okay? It's not Eli. But let me, let me play it for you. Strong's H fifty nine forty one, Ailey, Ailey. Okay, so according to the Strong's um, Strong's gentleman there that pronounces pronounces these names, it's Ailey, Ailey. Uh, however, I do understand that if you talk to Jewish people today or Hebrew speaking people today. They would say it's Ellie, Ellie or Ellie, Ellie, This is Ellie. I said Ellie, but I don't think it's Eli. Um, regardless of the fact that I at the end of the name is pronounced as E, Ellie or e, not Eli. Psalm 94 says, is that Hebrew? I've never heard that before. Yeah, everything in the Tanakh is Hebrew. Yes. Eli is a Hebrew name. Eli. Eli. Depending on who you talk to, I guess. Like I said, I'm pretty pretty sure that rabbis today say Eli. Eli. This particular guy says Eli but certainly not Eli. However, I, I, do, I know that most pastors would, would in, in the English-speaking world anyway, especially in the West, most, most uh, pastors would say Eli. Whatever, however you want to pronounce it, um, I, I would, I'll just pronounce it Eli. I'm used to that. Um... Let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 4. Now, this is interesting. This is interesting. 1 Samuel chapter 4. So the word of Samuel came to so the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle, and they camped beside Ebenezer, while the Philistines encamped at Fake. Then the Philistines drew up in battle formation to meet Israel. When the battle spread, it when the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about four thousand men on the battlefield. When the people came to the into the camp, the elders of Israel said, "Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines?" 
Let's take the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh so that he may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh, and there, and from there they carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of the arm of armies, who is enthroned above the cherubim, or the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, or Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, again, Phinehas in the original Hebrew way, the original Hebrew way, as far as I know, more accurate way to pronounce it is Pinchas, Pinchas. So Hophni and Pinchas were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord was coming into the camp, all Israel shouted, with a great shout, so that the earth resounded. And when the, the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the, what does the noise of this great shout in the camp of, of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, but they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us. For nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us. Who will save us from the hand of these mighty gods? Elohim. These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kind plagues in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, Philistines, or you will become slaves to the Hebrews. And they, as they have been slaves to you, so be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. And the defeat was very great, for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. Moreover, the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Now a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came Shiloh the same day with his, tor- his clothes torn. It's a sign of mourning, it's a sign of grief, and dust on his head. And when it when he behold, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road keeping watch, because his heart was anxious about the ark of God. And the man came to give a report in the city, and all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, What does the noise of this commotion mean? Then the man came hurriedly and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were fixed and he could not see. The word fixed here in the um, footnotes, possibly unable to focus is what it means. The man said to Eli, I am the one who came from the battle line. Indeed, I escaped from the battle line today. And he said, How are things, my my son? Then the one who brought the news replied, Israel had fled before the Philistines, and there has also been a great defeat among the people. And your two sons, Hophni and Pinchas, are also dead, and the ark of God has been taken. 
when he when he mentioned the ark of god eli fell off the seat backward beside the gate and his neck was broken and he died for he was old and heavy and so he judged israel for 40 years now his daughter-in-law pinchas wife was pregnant and about to give birth and when she heard the news that the ark of god had been taken and that her father-in-law and her husband had died she kneeled down and gave birth because her pains came upon her and about the time of her death the women who were standing by her said to her do not be afraid for you have given birth to a son she did not answer or pay attention. And she named the Ichabod, saying the glory has departed from Israel. Ichabod means uh, no glory or where is the glory. Because the ark of God has been taken and because of her father-in-law and her husband, so she said, the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God has been taken. Pamela says, the ark is, ark stolen is what I wrote in my Bible for the title of that chapter. Wow. Wow. Can you imagine how they felt like the ark of the ark of God being like so like being really everything to them? The, as they would say, like the earthly seed of God. First Samuel chapter five. Now the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon. And placed it beside Dagon. Now again, in the original Hebrew, it would be Dagon. I know we say Dagon in English, but it's Dagon. Uh, and this word dog, uh, D-A-G, D-A-G, you know, in English it's dag, but in Hebrew it's dog. Um, and it means fish. Okay, so this would have been a fish type, fish kind of god. Perhaps even a big, like a big statue or a big, um, you know, a big um, image of a fish. Uh, so we got here, Pamela asked a question, why didn't anyone stop them from taking it? That's a very good question. Very good question. Uh, so I, I you know, just speculate, um, you know, with, with the... The way things were going and the way the Philistines were winning and so many of Israel were just being slaughtered. Um, maybe they were afraid to. Maybe maybe they did try, but they were killed. I don't know. Um, very good question. Yeah, very good question. So, 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 2, Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and placed it beside Dagon. Hmm. When the Ashdodites got up the early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord, 
So they took Dagon and set him back in his place. But when they got up early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both palms of his hands were cut off on the threshold. Only the torso of Dagon was left. For that reason, neither the priests of Dagon nor any who entered Dagon's house step on the threshold of Dagon in, in Ashdod to this day. Just checking the comments here in the comments. We have, um, hope I'm spelling, hope I'm pronouncing, talk about pronouncing. Hope I pronounce your name right here. But Nunya said it was two battles, list back to back. The first they lost, then they went and got the ark and battled again, but lost the battle and the ark. Okay. Thank you, Nunya. 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 6. Now the hand of the Lord was heavy on the Ashdodites, and he made them feel devastated and struck them with tumors. Again, let's stop here just for a minute. And this is what this is the thing. Sometimes the presence of God, in this case, from the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, it can be a great blessing to you. Or it could be, it can bring great devastation on you. And we see this throughout, again, throughout the scriptures. Sometimes the presence of God is a blessing or brings blessing. And sometimes it brings devastation, depending really upon where, where you sit with God. Like, I mean, where you, where your, your, your spiritual position, so to speak. And you might, for example, you might read the book of Acts, right? In the book of Acts, we have accounts of miracles that have happened. People, you know, the blind seeing and people being raised from the dead and all this kind of thing. That's great blessing. But also we have like, you know, when Herod was struck, Herod was struck dead. We also have um, when Ananias and Sapphira was struck dead. We also have Elemis, the sorcerer, who was struck blind. And you might ask the question, like, why don't we have Ananias and Sapphira's dropping dead in church today? Um, and, you know, I have heard it rarely that things like that have happened. I have heard that they did happen before. Even just in the past hundred years, I've heard a couple um, testimonies of different things like that have happened. But you say, well, why isn't it today that people like that, like, that people just don't drop dead because of their little white lies or whatever the case is? And I would say it's probably because the presence of the Lord is not there like it was back in those days. They didn't have the, the power and presence of God like they had back in, in the days of Acts. Not that it's not available. It is available. I mean, it, you know, it is possible. It's just that the church generally speaking, by and large, has has fallen so far from the truth and from the presence of God that um, you don't see much of that anymore. 
Okay. It's a it's a it's a word. Speaking of the uh, the name, the screen name, it's a wordplay name. Nunya biz equals Hunanya biz. Okay, I see. None of your business in Babylon, uh, but I'm I'm not being rude. Um, I'm Mike Shalom. Okay, Shalom, Mike. Good to see you. Okay, so. First Samuel chapter five, verse six again. Now the hand of the Lord was heavy on the Ashdodites and he made them feel devastated and struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territories. When the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us because his hand is severe on us and on Dagon, our God. So they sent word and gathered all the governors of the Philistines to them and said, what shall we do with the ark of of the God of Israel? And they said, have the ark of the God of Israel brought to Gath. So they took the ark of the God of Israel away. After they had taken it away, the hand of the Lord was again, or was against the city, creating a very great panic. And he struck the people of the city. From the young to the old, so that tumors broke out on them. So that, or so they sent the ark of God to Ekron. Now I know, um, again, let me stop here for a second, because this word tumors, I know uh, Chandra, Chanda, excuse me, uh, said, you know, it's a different, different translation there. Uh, I, I actually, just earlier today, I did read a different translation as well. And, and it said in the footnotes that this, some people believe, some scholars believe that this is this was actually like a bubonic plague kind of thing that hit the people. And there's a great difference between tumors and the bubonic plague, I know, and, and, and uh, other things that it could be translated. But uh, just, just to keep that in, in your mind as well. Um, Pamela said, I want Old Testament God present so bad. I crave it. Yeah, absolutely. I say amen to that for sure. Amen to that. The the presence of God that you, you read about it and how the people in, in the Tanakh, they're praising God, you know, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. For he is good and his love endures forever. And his presence fills the place so that the priests and the ministers could not stand in the temple. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And you know, there's nowhere in the quote-unquote New Testament that you read that people sang for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Not as, you know, not, I'm just saying that because you got these dispensationalists that make it sound like the New Testament is, is like the place of mercy and grace, and the Old Testament's not, but that's not the case at all. Okay, so, First Samuel chapter again, verse 10. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. And as the ark of God came to Ekron, the Ekronites cried out, saying, 
They have brought the ark of God to Israel, or, excuse me, the ark of the God of Israel to us to kill us and our people. Therefore, they sent word and gathered all the governors of the Philistines of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place, not kill us and our people. For there was a deadly panic throughout the city, for the hand of God was very heavy there. And the people who did not die were struck with tumors. And the outcry of the city went up to heaven. 1 Samuel chapter 6. Now the ark of the Lord had been in the territory of the Philistines for seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What are we to do with the ark of, of the Lord? Tell us how we may send it to its place. And they said, if you, are, if you are going to send the ark of the God of Israel away, do not send it empty, but you shall certainly return to him in a guilt offering. It will be healed, and, you, and it will be revealed to you why his hand does not leave you. Then they said, what is to be the guilt offering that we shall return to him? And they said, gold tumors and five gold mice, core of the governors of the Philistines, since one plague was, was on all of you and on your governors. So you shall make likenesses of the tumors and likenesses of your mice that are ruined, and you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you, your gods, and your land. Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts when, they, when he had severely dealt with them? Did, did they not let the people go and they left? Now then, take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there has never been a yoke and hitch the cows to the cart and take their calves back to back home away from them. Then take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart, and put it in, and put the articles of gold which you return to him as a guilt offering in, in the saddlebag by its side. Then say that it may go. But watch. If it goes up by the way of its own territory to Beth Shemesh, then he has done this evil to us. But if not, then we will know that it was not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by chance. Then the men did so. They took two milk cows and hitched them to the cart and shut in their calves at home. And they put the ark of the Lord on the cart and the saddle with the gold mice and the likenesses of their tumors. Now the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh. They went on the same road, bellowing as they, went, as they went, and did not turn off to the right or to the left. And the governors of the Philistines followed them to the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were, gathered, were gathering in their wheat harvest in the valley. And they raised their eyes and saw the ark and rejoiced at seeing it. 
and the cart came into the field of Joshua or Yeshua, the Beth Shemite, and stopped there where there was a large stone. And they split the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the saddlebag that was with it, in which were the articles of gold, and put them on the large stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrifices that day to the Lord. When the five governors of the Philistines saw it, they returned to Ekron that day. Now these are the gold tumors which the Philistines returned as a guilt offering to the Lord. One for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, and one for Ekron. And, and the gold mice correspond to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five governors, both of the fort, of fortified cities and of country villages. The large stone on which they placed the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua, Joshua the Beth Shemite. Now he fatally struck some of them of the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck 50,070 men among the people, and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. You know, let me just stop here for a second because I'm just thinking about the ark um, that they say is in Ethiopia. And they say, like, the reason why that they don't show it is because really it's not a, it's not, a, it's not like a, a, a piece of merchandise that you, you put in a window in, in a store in a mall or something like that. It's not to be shown to common men. It's not, you know, it's, 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 a, it's the most holy article that's ever existed. And perhaps as well, if they really, if they have the ark, the reason why they don't show it is because they, perhaps if they do show it, they believe that they are responsible and they don't want to be responsible for that great sin. And this could, and this could be as well. Like we, you know, that decades ago, there was a famine that hit Ethiopia as well. You know, like you read how when the ark of God goes into a place, sometimes it does bring devastation. Sometimes it does bring blessing. So just a, just a thought. Verse 20, And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? To whom will he go up from us? And they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Yerim, saying, The Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord Come down and take it up to yourselves. First Samuel chapter 7. Uh, just before I read that. Pamela says, All 50K people looked at the ark, maybe just being in a certain, in a certain distance of it. Yeah, like maybe they did put it on display. And, you know, it's a good chance they probably did. 
and I don't want to sound like I'm talking about it too much, but I just one more one more time because I I've done some studying and some research on the whole the whole Ethiopian story of 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 that of the Ark of the Covenant, and there is a video. I'm not sure if it's still available, but there was a video on YouTube about um, it was actually a video of one of the keepers of the Ark, one of the older gentlemen who had actually no, he wasn't the keeper. Maybe he was just one of the assistants there. And he said that he actually saw inside the ark once. He said he he was so terrified. He said he just he was just scared to death. But according to him, according to him, the tablets were smaller and square size. Square size, according to him. There were t- smaller tablets and there was square size. He said like a little like a, like a square, like a book, almost like a little book. So um, hey, just saying, if if that's if that's the real deal, then we'll see how it. Uh, sooner or later, we'll probably all know the truth of it. First Samuel chapter seven, and the men of Kiriath Yearim came and took the ark of the Lord, and brought it into the house of Abinadab, on the hill. And they consecrated his son, Eliezer, to watch over the Ark of the Lord. Again, Eliezer, Eleazar, is the Hebrew form of Lazarus. Lazarus. Lazarus in the New Testament is Eliezer, actually. In the Greek naming conventions, often put S at the end of a name, like Marcus, Lucas, Ananias, Jesus, or Yeshua, Jesus. Um, and so they took Lazarus, they took Lazar, yeah, Lazarus, Eliezer, uh, to watch over the ark of the Lord. From the time, from the day that the ark remained at Kiriath Yerim, the time was long for it was 20 years and all the house of Israel mourned after the Lord. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel saying, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, again, there's that idea of repentance, repentance, returning to the Lord with all your heart right there. If, there's a condition, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then remove the foreign gods. In other words, don't just say it. Don't just, don't, it's not just something that happens in mind. It's something you should do. Remove the gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve him alone. And he will save you from the hand of the Philistines. Again, we have God's forgiveness and God's blessing poured out. Now, there's no, there's no mention here of, 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 again, of making sacrifices to get this forgiveness from God. It's all repentance, as we read many times throughout the scriptures, uh, as per Ezekiel 18, verses 19 and and on. Okay, verse 4. So the sons of Israel removed the Baal, Ashtaroth, and served the Lord alone. Then Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered to Mizpah, 
and water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the sons of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the governors of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the sons of Israel heard about it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the sons of Israel said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he will save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took an nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out for Israel, and, and the Lord answered him. Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, and the Philistines advanced to battle Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were struck down before Israel. And the men of Israel came out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and killed them as far as below Beth Kar, or Beth Kar. Then stone and placed it between Mizpah and Shen and named it Abenezer, saying, So far the Lord has helped us. Abenezer, meaning the stone of help. Stone of help. Saying, So far the Lord has helped us. As far as here, the Lord has helped us. So like a, literally like a landmark, milestone. Verse 13. So the so Philistines were subdued, and they did not come anymore within the border of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities which Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron even to Gath. And Israel recovered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. So there was, there was peace between Israel and Now Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He used to go annually on his Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah. And he judged Israel all in all these places. And he would make his return to Ram, because his house was there. And there he also judged Israel. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Awesome. Amen. All right. So. Um, very interesting. Very interesting question there. Um, second here. Yeah. Uh, Easter equals Ashtaroth. Um, the name could be similar, but you see, Ash, anything that ends with Ash, or like Oath or Oat uh, is literally as far as I understand, it would be plural. Um, so let me just double check that in the um, 
1 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, just, just give me a second here. Okay, so looking at this. Ashtaroth, Ashtaroth, Ashtarot, that would be plural. Uh, so again, let's look at it, the Strong's here. Um, Ashtaroth or Ashtarot is star, it really means star. False goddesses in the Canaanite religion, usually related to fertility cult. Um, yeah, so, uh, it would be, it would be plural. Yeah, it doesn't say a whole, whole lot about this, but yeah, that would be. Basically, what we're looking at there. Um, so, Mike says, y'all don't know slash believe Ron Wyatt found it under Golgotha. Uh, I've been, I, I, I've, I've known about that story since how long ago now? I've been looking into that. Oh, almost 20 years. Um, I am very, I'm familiar with, that. no, uh, no, no, I don't, I don't believe that he doesn't have, again, the, the story of the Ethiopian account is much more believable from my point of view, um, because they have, again, they have documents, they have it all documented from ancient, ancient books. You see, an interesting uh, show to watch, if you can, you'd have to go back in the archives or, or look it up on YouTube. I'm not even sure if it's still there or any other video platform. A very interesting um, documentary to watch is the one from the old uh, series of Digging for the Truth. Digging for the Truth with uh, Josh Bernstein. And um, they did a they did a, um, one episode about that, about the Ark of the Covenant. In all the different places that was that they say that it like different different claims of where where it would be, um, and it, that particular show does a really good a really good job of uh, really showing you a lot of uh, video evidence. There's other like Graham, I think it's Graham Hancock also has got a lot of stuff on that as well. Bob, uh, what's his name now? There's a few people that that really did a lot of digging and a lot of research into that story. And so there, you know, there's a lot to say about it, but just on the surface, um, and please don't get me wrong. There's a lot more than what I can say right now. I mean, I can, we can literally spend a good two or three hours talking about this alone, but just, just really, really briefly, um, they have documentation. They have ancient, ancient, ancient books that takes all, all of the 
historical documentation. Again, with all of the detail, it's very, it's much more believable with all of the detail. Like Mekeda was the queen of Sheba and she's the one that went down to Solomon and she, their story, I know it's, it's a long story, okay? Then they got they said Menelik, Prince Menelik was the first one to bring it there. They have the all the they have the dates. They have the they even show the actual um, what do you call it? The actual path that they took to get from Jerusalem to um, to where it is today. Um, so they have they have all the documentation. They have a lot of names and dates, which makes it a lot more believable. Uh, they have archaeological evidence, like I said. Okay, it rested over here for a number of uh, so many hundred years. Then it was taken over here for so many hundred years. And they have like what I what I mean by archaeological evidence. I'm talking about um, like the big stones, rocks that like um, it's it's really hard to tell you. It's, it's better if you watch the video, you'll see it. Um, it's like this huge. It's it's like a big plateau, rock plateau, and they showed that there was a, there was um, holes that were drilled out of the rock. That they said this is where the ark like rested for like you know during the years of six hundred to nine hundred or whatever. Um, and these holes that that's drilled out are in the exact perfect measurement of the holy of holies. Um, and again, they have they have names. They have the names and tra- they got everything all traced back all like the the priests and the levites and the keepers of the ark where they were rested where they're they're uh, like there's this one place it's like okay the guy who looked after the ark for these this number of years he's buried over here and then the ark traveled over here like very very detailed very very detailed and they also have what they claim to be okay i'm just just saying what they claim to be they have other um, um, what would you call it? Furnishings of the of the temple too. They have the um, they have the basin with, where they put it under the um, with the basin they would use to catch the blood of the, of the sacrifices. They brought that out from the store from their heavily locked armored doors. Right, heavily locked doors. They brought this out. This is the basin from Solomon's temple. This is the uh, the breastplate that, that the priest would use, not necessarily the breastplate, but the actual, uh, they had the, um, the frame of the breastplate. Um, they had a number of different things. I think the forks, we just read about the fork, had the forks and all kinds of different things like that. Uh, Graham Hancock on his, one of the videos that he did, they actually pulled out the silver trumpets as well. And again, these things you look at, it's like, they look really, really ancient. Okay, it's like super ancient. Um, they look like they could be thousands of years old for sure. All right. Um, and then you have like these Atong, these Atongs, these men throughout thousands of years who literally gave their lives for this all the way back to all the way t- back to the time of Menelik, literally gave their lives for it. So it's like if it wasn't the real deal, why would there be like hundreds of men who gave their life literally gave their lives to watch this ark to keep it um and then you got all the stories of you know a lot of these a lot of these people that were watching the ark they were a lot of these men would die young a lot of them would die with cataracts a lot of 
different things that was going on. Um, again, there's no way I can do it justice just by talking about it like this. Um, so don't get me wrong. That's not it. There's a lot more evidence as well. Um, but it sure beats someone who says, I found the ark, but I lost the ark. Or I know where it is, but you can't get to it. And I don't, I had, I didn't take pictures and there's, and all of this stuff. It was like, nobody, nobody witnesses it. And this is the way it is with, with uh, Mr. Wyatt, uh, with many of his discoveries. The ones that do have witnesses, like for example, the, the uh, Noah's Ark. It's definitely not Noah's Ark. Definitely not Noah's Ark. It's not even the right dimensions. It's not even the right shape. Um, everything else, I mean, he claims that he finds everything, right? The Mr. Wyatt fly, finds everything. I'm sorry, but I don't believe that at all. I mean, why? No, I don't believe that at all. Um, but the Ark story. It's like, so he went in there and the only witnesses were angels. Okay. I mean, and then he, he got the blood of Jesus, according to him, which was under the place where Jesus was crucified. This is not... And he claims that it, the blood of Jesus had to be sprinkled on the ark because that fulfilled the Torah. That does not fulfill the Torah. <laughs> because the Torah says the blood has to be sprinkled by the right people, in the right way, with the right instruments. All these things. It can't just seep through dirt and grind and grime in the, in the, in the rocks and somehow fall of itself without a high priest and not in the Holy of Holies. I mean, it's just, it just does not work. It just does not work. And then he says he went and he got it. He got the, um, the blood examined in, in a, in a lab. And, and then he, he, I know he comes up with this story and he cries and he says, they, they said that this blood, you know, has a mother, but not a father and all. And I get it, you know, but again, where's the evidence? Where's the, where's the, what's the name of the lab? Where's the documents from the lab? Who was it? Were you talking to? Where are your witnesses? Who was it? There's no witnesses. There's no documents. There's no pictures. There's no nothing. N nothing. There's absolutely nothing. And it doesn't even fit. Just like the Ark, the Noah's Ark doesn't fit the Bible. Neither does the story of the Ark of the Covenant fit in the Bible either. And so it just, it just, it's, there are people, unfortunately, out there, there are people who are very well-meaning people and they really believe things. And I'm not talking about people who believe Wyatt. I'm, I'm talking about people like Wyatt, where they really believe things. And, you know, I get it, you know. But... Oh, there's a lot of people out there that are very, very delusional. And I don't say that in a condescending way at all. I mean, that's just the way it is. A lot of people are like that. Yeah. It just does not fit. God would not choose one man to find every major art artifact of the Bible. 
he he doesn't do that's not the way God works either, right? It just doesn't work that way. Because it gives that man too much. Even in the prophets didn't claim to have any of that, like all this kind of thing. No, no prophet, no apostle, no nobody claimed those kind of claims. Um, I know. Okay, I, I, I don't. I want. I just don't want to say too a whole. I don't want to say too much, but. Uh, that's it in a nutshell. Um, the nut, in, in a nutshell, in my opinion, Ethiopia and, and the story of Ethiopia is way, way more believable than, than Wyatt. And way more in line with the scriptures than Wyatt. Okay? I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying it's perfect. N- neither story is perfect. But it's just more believable. That's, that's in my opinion. Yeah, Pamela, you're, you're right as well. The Bible, and I believe that is in the Apocrypha, where it says that the, the ark was hidden by Jeremiah and the Lord is unknown until and, and we are gathered to him. Yeah, so that's the thing. I mean, if that's true, if, if that's true, then why is also false and Ethiopia is also false, Okay. I mean, I'm just being open. Well, I think everybody should come to the table with an open mind and being humble about this. Um, if that's true, why it is wrong and Ethiopia is wrong. Because that claim is hidden on the other side, not in, in, not in the land of Israel today, but on the other side of the Jordan. Hannah says Ishtar connected to Grove Worship, which was to X-rated, to X-rated to discuss. Okay. Yeah, some really crazy things. Second first says, saw a study that said Wyatt's Ark was how the giants survived the flood. Crazy stuff. Yeah, that's that's one thing I didn't hear. I will say this though. Let me just say this. And I, I say this with all due respect and in 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 love for uh for Wyatt 
in his family or his friends and this kind of thing. I'm trying to find a better way. I'm trying to find, I'm trying to say this in a good way. Anybody who knows the marks, the markings, the anybody who knows what the marks are of someone who is delusional. It seems as though Mr. Wyatt fits the profile perfectly. Okay. And again, I'm saying I'm not saying that to you wouldn't believe how many people when I've been talking, I've I've actually spoke about this a lot, and you wouldn't believe how many people who've said to me, Hey, I am an atheist, and 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 what you said about Wyatt is making me really start to believe that perhaps you guys are a little bit more like Christians are a little, are, are, are more, more reasonable <laughs> people. The number of people who have said to me that my view of why it really helped them to come back to help them to understand that not everybody believes that kind of thing, that there are people that actually challenge Wyatt. Um, And to people who actually say that I, that I, my, my view of Wyatt gave them hope for Christianity, that not all Christians actually believe this. Pamela asked a question. Do you think Noah's Ark is still on Mount Ararat? Bible says it rested there. Think uh, rested means not permanent, but where could it have gone? People sh- people show aerial view of it or where it was. Okay, so um, this is what I think about that. I think about it like, so that would have happened, trying to think, 4,000? 5,000, 5,000 years ago, 5,000. Now, even the cross of Christ is pretty much all gone. Uh, at most, there is a church that, I think it's the Church of the, um, what is it now? The Church of the Holy Holy Sepulchre. Church of the Holy Sepulchre, Sepulchre excuse me, claims to have a little piece, like a little sliver, like a little tiny bit of the wood from the cross of Christ. And they have it locked up, lock and key, you know. Again, you can see a video on it. So if something 2,000 years old, to the best of everyone's everyone's ability, there's only a little, tiny little, like, uh, I mean, it's bigger than a toothpick, but it's not very big, it's just little. If, if, if that's all that's left of the cross, how much more you know, the ark that's more than twice as old as that. I think about the Titanic. When the Titanic went down, you had that grand staircase, you know, just beautiful wood, right? Beautiful. Um, And that disappeared fast. They don't know what happened to it. They don't know what happened to it. 
if it just broke off and, and floated away or whatever happened to it, but it's just completely gone. And that's not very old at all. Just completely gone. The entire grand staircase of whatever wonderful wood that was used to make that. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't cheap. Um, so I don't think it would be there. I certainly don't think it would be fossilized. Um, I think over the years, people would have went there and taken their share, probably broke it up, broke off a piece of wood here and there over, over even the, even just over, um, hundreds of years after the fact, you know, um, long before Jesus was ever born. I think it was gone long before Jesus was ever born. Like every, every trace of it was gone. Every trace of it. It's wood, right? If it was stone, then perhaps it's still there. Um, granite or some kind of, you know, really hard, hard rock. It, perhaps it, it would be still there, but I don't think that it would be there now. In regards to the, the, the ark, I've said this. I don't know if you guys, if this ever happened to you guys before, but this happened to me when you, you're reading the Bible and you think, you think, oh, I see something here that nobody has ever said. I've never heard anybody ever talk about. And, you, you know, you, you see it and you talk about it. And then later on, like could be days, weeks, months, even years down the road, somebody else that's totally unrelated to you, totally no connection to you at all, says, saw the exact same thing. And that happened um, when I was reading the, the story of the ark. Noah's ark the word ark actually means box, like the Ark of the Covenant. It's a box of the covenant. So as I read it, Noah's Ark was not a ship. It didn't have like, it wasn't shaped like a ship. A ship is shaped with the, you know, the, the you know, pointed, it's shaped to cut through the waters in, in traveling. That's how it's shaped. Noah's Ark didn't have to be it wasn't something to travel in. It was just something to float, right? It wasn't a traveling vessel. So it didn't, ha it, it didn't have to be shaped like a boat. I, I don't think it was shaped like a boat. According to the scriptures, it was shaped like a box. Um, and I saw that for years. I'm like, this says box. And it, the dimensions of it is a box. It's not a boat. It's not a ship. doesn't even have any shape of a ship whatsoever. And wasn't that long ago, actually, um, oh, I mean, maybe about five years ago now, um, it was brought to my attention. There was this, um, you may know about it. There's a Jewish website by the name of Chabad, Chabad.org. And one of, the, one of the leaders from that, one of the leading rabbis from that website, one of the most famous Jewish websites, one of the most famous Jewish organizations in the world. Uh, so somebody was watching a video of this particular rabbi. Uh, he passed away now, and but he's not with us right now. But he did a he did a video and a demonstration of Noah's Ark. And guess what he demonstrated? Guess what he he had a, he had a drawing of of uh, Noah's Ark. It's like someone came to me and said. Someone came to me and was like, did you, you're not the only one that says that Noah's, Noah's Ark was a box. Rabbi Gordon, 
And I looked at it. I'm like, no, really? I, I was shocked. I'm like, you got to be, really? Show me, right? And this, the video, Rabbi Gordon on Chabad.org. And he pulls it out and he, uh, you know, he has like a demonstration, a drawing of Noah's Ark. And it's a box. I'm like, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Um, regardless of the fact, whether it was shaped for travel with the pointed front or not, I don't think it was. I think it was a box. But regardless of the fact, the um, the shape the shape or I should say, excuse me, the um, the dimensions, the length of the ark does not match what Wyatt found. Does not match it. What Wyatt found, sure, I mean, it looks like, it looks like something you hear about in, in Sunday school, the way, uh, but it's just, just not, it doesn't, it doesn't fit the, the shape, it doesn't fit the size, it doesn't fit anything. So, yeah, that's that's how I um, how I see the Ark of Noah's Ark. Anyway, I think that it is. If it if there's any if say this, and this is I think this is true with any of the relics, biblical relics. If it exists, and it could at least pieces somewhere, it could. Certainly not in the site where, where, where it rested, and neither with any of the other um, um, biblical artifacts. But if it exists, at least pieces of it, perhaps somebody might have it hidden away somewhere. I'll tell you something. If I had a Bible relic, if I had a relic like this was, you know, this is a necklace that, um, you know, <laughs> I don't know, like Mary, the mother of Jesus wore this necklace. Was, I don't know, something like that. If I had something like that, I certainly wouldn't tell anybody about it. I would hide it. I wouldn't tell anybody about it. I wouldn't want anybody knowing about it. That's for sure. Yeah, Khanda says uh, Revelation eleven nineteen, and I appreciate you know some people they just they just reference, and I get it. Some people just put references down of like you know the Bible this this particular chapter and this verse, but I really appreciate it when you actually copy and paste the whole entire thing. That's that's great. I love it. Uh, the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in the temple the ark of His testament, and, and there were lightnings as and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Yes. Um, so when Moses was on the mount, it says that he was shown a pattern in heaven. It's like a blueprint. Like he saw things in heaven. If you read the uh, Legends of the Jews, there's a lot more detail in there about how Moses was supernaturally, like he, had, he got a vision. So in heaven, he saw the tabernacle. He saw the Ark of the Covenant in heaven and all of the furnishings of the, ta of the uh, tabernacle. Uh, so all of that, I think that was there 
the heavenly tabernacle with the heavenly Ark of the Covenant and all of that stuff has been there since long before Moses and, and always will be there. Moses, he made a replica of what he saw in heaven. That's like that's basically what it says in Exodus. So he saw the tabernacle, he saw the different the three different parts or the areas of the tabernacle, the, the courtyard, the holy place, and the holy of holies. He saw the table showbread and in the, in the incense in the Ark of the Covenant. He saw all that stuff in heaven. And that's when God said, okay, now you can make, make what you saw here on earth. So the Ark that Moses made was a replica of what he saw in heaven. Same with the tabernacle. Same with everything. So yeah, I think that the Ark of the Covenant always existed in heaven. Since long before Moses was ever born and still is still there today. But that's the different ark. That's the permanent ark of the covenant in, in heaven, as opposed to the replica that Moses made on earth. And like I said, hey, I'm I'm not I'm not gonna fight tooth and nail about it, but I'm just saying I still I would still say with all the evidence that we have, the Ethiopian account is way more believable, way more believable than certainly Wyatt. And, well, I mean, we have the, in, in the Apocrypha, it says the Ark was hidden on the other side of the Jordan um, until, until everything, you know, basically until the end of the end of this age. Um, and hey, I mean, it could be. I'm not saying, I'm just saying there are different, put it this way. I would believe the account of Jeremiah in the, in the Apocrypha way more than Wyatt. Definitely. But at this point in time, I, I believe there's a, there's a lot of evidence coming out of Ethiopia, a lot of evidence all the way around um, that really seems to, put it this way, Beyond a reasonable doubt, seems like the Ark of the Covenant is in Ethiopia. Yeah, Pamela says... Um, if it was nowadays, people would have saved all this stuff. Back then, they didn't treasure history like we do now. A, mu a museum says they have Jesus' tunic. If that's true, then it was kept very well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's awesome. Um, it's a brown, the, the seamless robe of Jesus. Uh, let me see if I can just pull it up. Yeah, but last I heard, last I heard this was in a church in Germany. So the seamless robe of Jesus. And you would think, again, from traditional pictures and movies and stuff that his robe would be white. But if this is the robe, which, hey, it, it very well could be the robe. Uh, I certainly 
don't have any reason that it's not the robe. Um, so if it is, um, he certainly didn't wear a white robe. Oops. Yeah, so very, very interesting. Like all that stuff. Okay, so tomorrow night is a very special night. We have, um, I have a pre-schedule. I, I actually scheduled this days in advance. We're going to be talking about the Gospel of John. We're going to be talking about the Gospel of John from a very, uh, if I can put it this way, from like a scholarly point of view. We're going to be talking about why John they say about 90 to 93 percent of all of the gospel of john is not found anywhere in any of the other gospels and there are things in the gospel of john that are um very unique let me just put it that way very unique and so the Gospel of John also portrays Jesus in a very unique light, unlike any of the other Gospels. It's much different than the Synoptic Gospels. And that's the reason why we have, you know, the Synoptic Gospels over here, the three, the Matthew, Mark, Luke. And then we have the Gospel of John, which is not part of the Synoptic Gospels because it's so different. So we're going to be talking about that from a scholarly point of view, talking about some of the Ancient manuscripts talking about some of the, a lot of the questions that people have about the Gospel of John. And we're going to do that tomorrow night. Uh, there's been several times throughout the past, I don't know how many months, where people have been asking questions, uh, not specifically about the Gospel of John, but their questions were always rooted in the Gospel of John. And so that's the reason why I do feel it's, there is a need to lay it out on the table and sit around the table, so to speak, and talk about it. Let's talk about the, the Gospel of John. And so that's what we're going to do tomorrow. All right, guys. So tomorrow, the Gospel of John, Saturday, it all depends on what happens. Let me just see if I can check what's going on there. On I've been, I have posted a few different videos inviting uh, lots of different invitations <laughs> I don't get it you get lots of people I'm just I'm just checking my um, my TikTok um, comments here when I post a video you get a lot of people in the comments you know that post things that are not all that not all that Good. Not all that good. Let me just say it that way. Things in the comments that are not all that accurate, not all that good. And some of these people, I, I would love to sit down with them and talk to them 
in a discussion or like a debate. And I've been challenging people to do that for this coming Saturday. And so far, I haven't really had much of anybody to bite that particular invitation. I put an invitation on, I put the video on YouTube, on on, uh, TikTok and on Instagram. I just checked TikTok. I didn't check YouTube or Instagram yet, but TikTok is usually quite a uh, cauldron of comments and I, I get hardly anything. When I when I really in, uh, challenge people to a video live debate, um, hardly anybody responds. But when I don't, um, lots of thousands of comments, thousands of comments of really things that are just, I just shake my head reading most of these comments, you know, honestly. So that's the case. And also, Lord willing, this Sunday, okay, um, it looks to be 1 p.m. Eastern Time. 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, I'm thinking it's going to be, this will be like an extra live stream that we'll do apart from our regular live stream. We'll see how it goes. But 1 p.m. Eastern. If you're in Central Time, that would be noon, 12, noon sharp. That would be Sunday, March 13th. I will be on live with another guest talking about Paul, talking about the epistles of Paul. So there's another person that's coming on here. This other person is also someone who believes in following the Torah, but they have a different view than I have on Paul. So we got some things scheduled for the next three or four days, right? At least three days. Tomorrow, Saturday, and Sunday. Okay, guys. So if you're not subscribed, make sure you're, you're subscribed. Make sure you got those notifications on. Make sure you're able to jump on and join in. We got some very interesting things we're going to be talking about between the Gospel of John and between having live debates with anybody who's really interested on Saturday, as well as my discussion with another um, another uh, actually it's another creator from TikTok, but I'm going to be having them here on YouTube Sunday at 1 p.m. All right, so I'll talk to you. See you guys hopefully tomorrow night, Lord willing, 7 p.m. Eastern. You guys are awesome. Thanks for your questions. Thanks for your comments. Thanks for your fellowship. I appreciate every one of you. I appreciate your your point of view. And um, yeah, thanks again for watching. As always, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow.